We are continuing today in uh, a series we've been working on that really looks at the idea of Jesus being the true mentor of every believer. It's true that the church mentors people. Uh, it's true that we can mentor our children. It's true that uh, there are many ways to have legitimate spiritual mentors. But what we also have to recognize is that Jesus is the primary mentor of every believer through the Holy Spirit. We've been looking at some of that, and where we kind of started it is the idea that Jesus really challenges us to seek him, to knock and the door will be open, to ask for him and we will receive from him. And he wants us to set our eyes on that being a truth and a foundation that changes our entire life and changes the way we live our life. We've gone down a path of looking at being offended, doubting, being confused. All these things are very often the, the places that stop us in our faith. They're the places that stop us from pressing in to a life with Jesus, for taking what we would consider a risk with Jesus. Not until my confusion is satisfied, not until my doubts are resolved, not until my offense is cleared up, can I honestly, with integrity, pursue Jesus. It sounds almost like we are a person of integrity because we hold short of Jesus for the questions and the struggles that we can have in our soul. And what we've been looking at is the apostles. If anybody had doubts, it was the apostles, the disciples. If anybody was confused, these guys were confused. And, and sometimes they were offended. But they continued to believe the truth that he was the Son of God. And so they were working to resolve or go through those things and press into that truth, believing that those things could be resolved, would be resolved, and that you can't throw away the truth because I'm confused or offended. We looked at places in the scripture where people do, did get offended or could have gotten offended. <clears throat> For those of you who are with us, we looked at the Samaritan woman that Jesus almost directly called her a dog. Most of us would be offended. We would write on our blog how the alleged person who is love, who loves the world and is perfect, called me a dog when I needed help from him. And it would go viral. Failing to see that it was a teaching moment and that what he was really doing is showcasing the fact that this woman's faith was so significant and so strong that she walked right through the offense and received what she wanted from Jesus. It became a model to the people of Israel. This person who was not a Jew could follow Jesus in such a radical way. So it left us with the question, have we ever been mad at God? Does the Bible seem difficult? Do we have reservations or confusion about the Bible? Have we ever found the Bible judgmental or offensive? 
Do you have doubts? Well, welcome to the world of following Jesus. If you want that to be the place that you stop following him, many, many people have. You will be in great company. But if you want that to be the place where you begin to follow Jesus, then you will be on a new path and a new road that will be a different life for you. Can we follow when it gives us more questions than answers? Can we do that? That's really characterized as faith. Can you, can you follow when the evidence of following is not smart? Can you follow? Will you do that? Or will you side on the side of evidence? Will you not play the fool for Jesus? <clears throat> so we looked at this. Jesus gives these powerful lessons. If you can't follow me in mystery, with questions, with doubts, with offense, you won't be able to follow me. So as a follower of Jesus, what he's going to do is he's going to allow the role in your life, the opportunities in your life, to involve all of those things because your faith will grow in those places. When you follow Jesus in questions, when you have these questions, I mean real questions, real struggles, that's where faith goes to work. We began last week looking at the testing of Peter's faith. And I look at it as Jesus, I mean, Peter is testing his faith. In Matthew 14, verse 25, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And there's the winds and the waves are already there. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. One of the places that I believe here so amazing is the Peter's response. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. If it's you, call me to follow you. You see, that's very different than our normal response when we're struggling against wind and wave. Our response normally with Jesus is, would you please deal with the winds and waves in my life? Would you deal with the things that are causing me difficulty? Would you please take care of the things in my life? Would you give me smooth sailing in my life? For that is really what I want from my God. I really, really, really want smooth sailing. I want to be okay. I want my family to be okay. I want the world I live in to be okay. Would you please make everything okay? But when Jesus says, seek me and you will find me, it's not about seeking smooth sailing. It's about seeking him in a way that defies the mystery. In a way that's greater than the mystery. And we see Peter stepping in to this different reality. I mean, nobody says, call me out on the water in these winds and waves. I mean, that's a different thinking, right? And the other guys in the boat, what are you doing, Peter? 
Hey, Jesus, if it's really you, come over here. No, call me to you. And I had to believe. That was a fine moment for Jesus. He thought, this is what I've been waiting for. Someone who's willing to get out of the boat. So he said, come on. As we talked about last week, Peter stepped out there. Now, I, I happen to think the waves got bigger at that moment. Something amped up in that moment, and Peter gets afraid. And he starts sinking. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water. He walked on the water. Come on, this is no small day. He walked on the water. I was thinking about this verse this morning when we were being led in worship. You know, walking through water. I thought, forget the walking through water. Let's walk on the water. Let's take it up a notch here. He walked on the water. And he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, crying out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. There's those ever-so-familiar words he spoke over his disciples all the time. You of little faith. Why did you doubt? Like I said last week, I don't see this as judgment. I see this as Jesus saying, you had it. You did the hard part. You actually thought of it, and then you stepped out of the boat. You had it. You choked. It was yours. You're almost there, Peter. You're almost there. You are figuring it out. You're figuring out that to follow me, you have to do what you can't do to follow me. When they climbed into the boat, everything died down. Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. But real worship is not bowing. Real worship is getting out of the boat. Real worship is to trust and put your faith in Jesus to get out of that boat. That's worship. I see it as an epic moment for the disciples. I see it as a win. And I feel like everybody wins. Do you realize that? When you win and you share it or people see it, everybody wins. Everybody gains from a victory in Christ. Last week, I thought of this. Um, we had the guys here to repair the carpet. It was their first day. They'd been here five minutes or so. They're just kind of scoping out the place. And one of them asked this question, said, uh, wow, is there something in here? I, I can't hardly breathe. I'm, I'm choking. Just, I'm stopping up in my whole body. And immediately... I'll tell you the words I said. Do you want me to pray for you? I got out of the boat. I was so excited. I got out of the boat. There I was, walking on the water. 
talking to this stranger. Now, after I said that, this person seemed a little bit like, uh, what? And I'll tell you the words that came to my mind after that. Like that, they came to my mind. If you want, I will pray for you, and Jesus will heal you right now. Now, that's, the, that's what came to my mind. Now, I'll tell you what I said. I'll pray for you. And I did. And I could have asked him then, how do you feel now? But I didn't. You see, that's what Peter did. There I was, sinking in the waves, right there. And Jesus said, you had it. You got out of the boat. You saw the moment. You got out of the boat. And you choked. Bill, why did you doubt? We are really crippled by our boat. Our boat defines us very often more than Jesus. What do you seek? What do you ask for? What doors are you knocking on? You see, because seeking and asking and knocking is about getting comfortable out of the boat. Because to follow Jesus, that's where we go. We can take our questions, our doubts. Jesus does not demand that you surrender all those to follow him. He really encourages you. Yeah, bring all that with you and come on. And we'll deal with that on the way. I had this question with our pastor in Mexico. I said, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? He said, yes. I said, well, if Peter and John and Matthew and all these guys were continually being challenged by Jesus, where is your faith? Oh, you of little faith. Where is your faith? Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt if he was constantly saying that to the people that we think were people that walked on water, how often might Jesus be saying those words to us if we're his followers? If he is our mentor, how often would Jesus maybe be not abusing us or judging us, but calling us to what it takes to follow him. Jesus allows our faith to be pushed till we find the limits of it. And then he grows those limits. You know, we, we never really know where our limits are, do we? We can sing a worship song, uh, I'm going to love you like this, and I'm going to do all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Maybe 
Maybe. I've done many uh, weddings. People say all kinds of things to one another at weddings. They make all kinds of promises in weddings. Many times it is not how it ends. Marriage tests our promises. Walking with Jesus tests our faith. And what Jesus does is says, you don't have enough faith to pull this off, do you? Now it becomes obvious to us in the moment. It's not an indictment. He's saying, to walk with me, you'll need this much. We're going to continue with Peter's story. Because Jesus, as he always puts that standard in front of us, always teaching us to trust. And I really see this. It was his greatest priority in the lives of people. It was his greatest priority to develop and encourage and to proof out our faith in him. His greatest priority. It's worth more to him than our smooth sailing. That's how different we are from him. So I want to kind of fast forward a little bit. We're going to go to the Lord's Supper. Uh, this is where Jesus is really inaugurating the new covenant. It's, a, it's, a, it's an epic moment. They don't really realize it, but he certainly knows what's going on. We're going to pick that up in Luke 22. And after the Lord's Supper, there is this statement that Jesus makes that some, one of them is going to betray him. And so they begin this dialogue in verse 23. The disciples begin to ask each other, which one of them would ever do such a thing? Now I want you to see how the conversation transitions at this moment. The very next verse, then they begin to argue among themselves about... Um, who would be the greatest among them? Isn't that an interesting shift? You know, oh, wow, man, there's a traitor among us. I wonder who it is. Who could do such a thing? Well, it wouldn't be me. I'm the greatest. I'm going to be the Well, You know, I'm the one that walked on water. Yeah, but you sunk. Well, but at least I got out of the boat. Whatever. We all worshipped him. We did this. I did that. There's this argument among themselves. Now, Jesus is listening to this. And it presents another teaching moment. And he says, I'm paraphrasing this, but it's fairly word for word from the scripture. In this world, kings and great men lord over people. But among you, it will be different. You hear the shift? Did you hear the teaching moment? In this world, the kind of thing you're talking about right now makes sense in this world. But that's not going to be the case with you. Your world is going to be different than what you're describing right now. Do you see the shift that he's bringing? He's saying, all right, you are thinking as the world thinks. And we're working on that not being the way you think. Here is going to be your reality. And he says, those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leaders should be like a servant. 
And then he asked them this question. He says, so, who is greater, the person sitting at the table or the servants serving the table? What would you say? See, if we were at El Toro, if we were somewhere, most people would say the people at the table. And that's exactly what they said. Even after he makes his statement, it almost sounds like a trick question. You know, you know to answer it right. You know, you know, well, I guess it's the servant since you just told us it's... But they didn't. It's the people at the table. And he points out to them, well, that's not so at this table, is it? I am the servant here. Who's going to argue that he's the greatest at the table? And he was the one that was serving them the food. So you come into this moment, they're talking about who's greatest, and he sets up this teaching moment. And that leads right into verse 28. You have stayed with me in my, this is Jesus speaking, you have stayed with me in my time of trial, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant to you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In this moment, I declare you great. I declare you great. You will sit at my table and you will be a judge with me. That's pretty high up, isn't it? What's he really saying? Now you're going to be a servant. All of this sets the stage for his very next statement. Many of you are familiar with Peter's failure where he denies Jesus three times, denies knowing him. The very next verse, Jesus goes from this affirmation, and you, you can see at this moment that all of this challenge, all of this faith building, all of this stuff where you don't have enough faith, where's your faith, where's your faith, is not about they're not qualified or they're not in or their salvation isn't there or those things aren't true. It's not about proving themselves. That's about training them to do what Jesus has for them to do. And that's what we see in these verses. And then he focuses on Peter we call Simon. Look carefully at the word, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to shift, to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you. Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. So here's some questions. It says, Satan has requested, and in the language, when you look at the language in the original text, this is a granted request. 
Satan has requested to sift you, and that language is to dismantle you, to take you apart. Let's expand on it. Satan has been granted permission to take you apart. Why? I thought we were about the smooth sailing. I even got out of the boat for you. But I want you to see this. He's talking to Simon, but it says Satan has asked to sift each of you. It's plural. Satan has asked to sift all of you. Not just Peter. But I have pleaded in prayer for you. It goes back to singular. He's talking to Peter, and he says, Satan has requested and been granted permission to sift all of you. I have prayed for you, Peter. I have pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not fail. So I have a question for you. Did his faith fail? I mean, if he turned around and he denied Jesus three times, did his faith fail? And if his faith failed, does that mean that Jesus' prayer didn't work? I mean, come on, if Jesus pleaded in prayer and it didn't work, I have more confusion. I have more questions. But we see here, Jesus says, so when you have repented and turned to me again. He's not only saying, Peter, you're not going to do well. But when you return to me, go back to work. Strengthen your brothers. <clears throat> I want to say at this point, I think this really speaks into our understanding of failing in faith. I think we have a very moment-oriented reality of failing in faith. You know, I didn't have the faith, so I didn't say what was in my heart. Somebody didn't have the faith, so they didn't give of their money. Somebody didn't have the faith, so they didn't do this, didn't do that. Somehow their faith has failed. But what we see here is that faith is a bigger thing than a moment. Jesus is not investing in just a moment. He's using the moment to invest in us. The moment is not about win or lose in the moment. The moment is about winning, period. We know the story that Peter's faith was amazing in history. I would say that Peter's, that uh, Jesus' prayer was powerfully effective. In fact, all of them would be sifted. But he's speaking to Peter. And he's telling Peter, I'm praying for you. I'm praying 
that your faith doesn't fail. Because you see, that could be a moment that if Jesus, that he denies Jesus three times, he has these questions, I'm flawed. I, I, I can't do it. In the moment I choked, I don't deserve to walk with Jesus. I don't deserve to be a disciple. I've seen many pastors walk away because they had a failure. Many people walk away from church because they had a failure. And because we are followers of Jesus, he is pleading and praying for each of us in that moment that we will repent, we will come back, and we will strengthen our brothers. Because when Peter shows back up, he has a story none of them have. I know what it's like to deny him. I know what it's like to want to kill myself in failure, humiliation. How great was the humiliation? Well, let's look at verse 33. After Jesus tells him, once you repent and turn to me, strengthen your brothers. Peter says, he's challenging a little bit. Lord, I am ready to go to prison for you, even to die with you. That's when Jesus gives him the news. Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. You will deny that you ever knew me. Not that you're the son of God, that you even know me. In that moment, you can imagine, was Peter offended? I think he was as honest as he could be. I'm ready to go to prison for you. I'm ready to die for you. I'm ready to take the bullet for you, Jesus. You see, that faith was tested, wasn't it? It wasn't true. When Peter found out it wasn't true, it isn't that it wasn't the right goal. He had to press further into Jesus to achieve it. Jesus mentors us. He prays for us. And my thought is, Either we're not really listening as much as we could. Or our faith is better than theirs. Is Jesus talking to you and me about our faith? Is he speaking to you? Maybe we don't hear it. Maybe because our ears are more tuned to kind of the things that we normally hear. Maybe when you try to walk with Jesus, when you try to step out with him, things go wrong in your life and you think, I liked it better before. 
and you back up because you feel like the cost is high. But if you allow Jesus to take the place of your mentor, to be that mentor, Jesus will speak to you just like he did the apostles. It'll be that voice inside, but it'll be his voice. And he will call you to do things that A, you don't want to do, or you're afraid to do. Because he's going to cause you to grow. There was a sense of urgency because Jesus was going to be gone in three years. <clears throat> and the evidence we have is that from there they went out sharing the gospel, being the hands and the face and the voice of the kingdom of God. They got it. They were servants. And they never denied Jesus again. Jesus continually checking them on their faith, commending or challenging. Because the faith was going to be critical for them to succeed as the people of God. <clears throat> Urgency for many of us would be helpful. Jesus calls us to follow him. But it's going to give you questions and it's going to make you afraid sometimes and it's going to intimidate you. And it's difficult for most of us spiritually to make this week look different than last week. But Jesus can. Um, I'm going to, I didn't give anybody warning, but I want you to share what you shared with me this morning, if you would. <clears throat> if you share a victory with me, you're, you're probably going to get to share it with others. And if that stops you from sharing a victory with me, then I'm going to say, you got out of the boat. You almost made it. I don't really remember exactly what I said. You asked me a question. The timer on your phone. Okay. Um, last week was spirit-filled here for me big time, and I got some prayer, and um, I left wanting to stay connected, and that's been hard for me lately. And so I kind of felt like maybe I was cheating a little bit, but I guess I wasn't, because I set a timer on my phone to go off occasionally throughout the day, and it was 
a reminder to connect and say a little prayer and just acknowledge that I'm in a relationship with him rather than spend my day doing me and forgetting about him completely. Is that all? Is that all your story? Because you told me it, now you keep waiting. Oh, yes. I look at my phone like, is it almost time for my timer? Like I'm thinking about him even without the timer. That's a great story. Because now, now she's pushing the timer instead of the timer pushing her. If you could stand. <laughs> 